Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm very excited to have with me today, Suzanne Connolly. Suzanne lives in Sedona, Arizona, where she's been in private practice for 33 years. She's licensed as a clinical social worker, a marriage and family therapist, and a substance abuse counselor. Suzanne has taught as an adjunct professor at Arizona State University, where she taught holistic social work in the graduate program. Suzanne has been training professionals and non-professionals in thought field therapy, TFT, since 1996, and has trained over 2,000 people around the world, including myself, I've had a training with Suzanne, to use TFT at the algorithm level. She's the author of Thought Field Therapy Clinical Applications and has also authored and co-authored five studies of TFT published in peer-reviewed journals, the latest of which was a systematic literature review and meta-analysis published in August 2021 in the Bulletin of the World Health Organization. Suzanne has taught TFT as a trauma relief intervention in Littleton, Colorado after the shooting at Columbine High School in New Orleans at Charity and Oxner Hospitals in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, in Rwanda after the 1994 genocide, in Tokyo after the Fukushima earthquake and tsunami, in Kuwait after the Gulf War, and in Jerusalem, Mexico, France, and Canada. Among her many invited presentations was a one-day TFT training at the University of Connecticut Medical School Department of Psychiatry Master Therapist Series. Wow, what an incredible uh, CV there. Welcome, Suzanne. Well, thank you for inviting me, Adriana. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm happy that you're excited to learn more about thought field therapy. Yes, yes. Well, as some of the viewers and the audience and listeners know, I have been a student of energy psychology since I was in grad school 20 plus years ago and was first introduced to these tools just very synchronistically, you know, I was in grad school here in Northern California and found a flyer in the student lounge for the ASEP uh, conference. It was like mm. probably the second one they'd ever done back in the late 90s. Oh, uh-huh. So and the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology of which you are also a member. And I was so intuitively, I just knew I had to be there. So I drove down to San Diego and my whole world just kind of exploded with these amazing and powerful tools. Tell us, Suzanne, how did you get into this field? Well, into the field of psychology, I think I just always, uh, everyone always came to me with their problems anyway. You know, when I was a little kid, parents would talk to me about their kids' problems, you know. And so I just, uh, I came into it a little late. You know, I got married early and had six children. And then I decided, you know, to go back to school and, uh, worked full time, had six children, and they were a little bit older by then, and uh, went to school full time. So um, I changed from um, psychology to social work, 
because I think at heart, I'm a social worker more than a psychologist. You know, even though I do research, I'm more interested in um, the social aspects of things than I am in testing. So um, I became a social worker and got into private practice in where I live in Sedona, Arizona. And uh, that was kind of my journey. Yeah. And then, oh, as far as thought field therapy, you know, I was working a lot. You know, in the 80s is when uh, people started coming out about uh, sexual abuse. Before that, people weren't really talking about it. So all of a sudden, there was this flood of people from all ages, you know, younger people and people in their 80s talking about their sexual abuse. So I began seeing so many of those people that I started having groups on survivors of sexual abuse and uh, even male groups of survivors of sexual abuse. And uh, I was always looking for new tools to help with trauma. And uh, I... I did the master's in NLP at one point in my life, became very interested in Ericksonian hypnotherapy, all of which I still use, and then EMDR, which of course I still use, and that was such a gift. And I don't think I ever would have gotten that excited about learning tapping if I hadn't already done EMDR, because it might have sounded a little too strange. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing advertisements on it, but you know, they even seemed a little hokey to me. Mm-hmm. And then my husband really encouraged me to take the thought field therapy training when it was kind of an all-in-one. It was the easy version and the more complicated version. And, you know, you just got the whole thing by going to Indian Wells, California and studying with Dr. Callahan. And he and his wife, Joanne and Roger both became friends then. And uh, we did many things together. Yeah. So for the people who don't know, thought field therapy is the original tapping on acupuncture points. And he, Roger, Dr. Roger Callahan, who created it, um, he was really the first innovator to bring the the traditional practice of acupuncture and the stimulation of acupuncture points to the field of psychology, right? So can you tell us a little bit more just kind of about thought field therapy and and what it is and how it works? Well, Roger Callahan began being interested in muscle testing in the 70s, and he was a colleague of Dr. Goodhart's, who uh, was the founder of muscle testing, basically. And uh, so he was, uh, they were sharing ideas, you know, as they went along. And one of the things that Dr. Goodhart explored was the um, meridians, muscle testing and the meridians, using it for more for chiropractic reasons. And Dr. Callahan got the idea to try that once with a client called Mary. Now, he had a traditional practice of just working with people with phobias and anxieties. And one day he thought, this client he had, Mary, she was so afraid of water that she couldn't go out in the rain. She lived in Southern California. She couldn't take her children to the beach. And it was, it, she took up, she was very clean and she took a bath, but it'd be about this much water. And that was a terrifying experience. And he had worked with her a year sitting by his backyard pool. And he had gotten to, to her to where she could actually even look at the water. First, she had to not look at it. And one day he thought, well, one of her symptoms is kind of a queasiness in the stomach. And many people with anxiety can relate to that. So he thought maybe if I tapped on the on the 
uh, end of the stomach meridian, it would help her with uh, that queasiness that she feels. And so he did a little experiment and he tapped her under the eye. And Mary got up and she said, Dr. Callahan, it's gone. Mm. And he said, what do you mean it's gone? He wasn't expecting anything. And she said, my fear of the water, I'm not afraid of the water anymore. And she walked over to the pool, stuck her hand in, splashed around, started walking toward the deep end, and he panicked. He said, Mary, Mary, you can't swim. And she said, Dr. Callahan, I know I can't swim. You know, it's, I'm just not afraid of the water. And of course, most people, very, very few people are that easy to treat. And that was just a gift from God, I think, that she was so easy to treat because none of his other patients, of course, responded that quickly. But he was smart enough and curious enough and patient enough to figure it out. If that worked for her, what would work for other people? So he began experimenting with all the hundreds of acupuncture points. And he found the 12 that seemed the most effective, actually 14, the 12 meridians. And then there's two endpoints that he also found, the 10 connecting points uh, mm -hmm. that connect the other meridians together. So those 14 points uh, constitute thought field therapy. And he continued to do muscle testing. And as he continued to do muscle testing and hearing people, one thing that happened is he had to, he went bankrupt. Because he lost all of his clients because it was one or two treatments and they'd be cured with these, right. you know, not, not obviously not complex PTSD, but, um, you know, he was just doing anxieties and phobias at the time. And another thing that happened and his wife left him because he, <laughs> but he, because he wasn't making as much money, his former wife, but um, he found that certain patterns emerged with people who were anxious and, you know, that was, for instance, eyebrow, eye, arm, collarbone. Mm -hmm. And so he developed these algorithms uh, that professionals still use today who aren't trained in muscle testing or, in my case, don't want to bother with muscle testing much of the time. And, you know, they're usually just three or four or five or six maybe points that work with different things. Mm -hmm. And they're very easy to remember. And, you know, it's just a very professional form of tapping. Yes. And I love that it's still around and, and, yeah. and, and that, you know, you're teaching classes in it. Other people, I think, teach classes in it. I know a lot right. of people are familiar with EFT, right. uh -huh. emotional freedom techniques, which derived from TFT, right. exactly. a student, uh -huh. yeah, was a student of Callahan's. Now, tell us <laughs> how that's different than TFT. Yeah. Let me, let me get a little drink. Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm in Arizona and the, and the air is so dry. Yeah, so dry in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, well, EFT just thought instead of muscle testing, let's just tap all the spots that Callahan um, found. <coughs> and um, so basically it still works. It takes a little longer and it's just not quite as targeted as professional, you know, because you, it, you're just kind of guessing and you're doing all the points over and over. And one thing that uh, Dr. Callahan did in the beginning is he had kind of affirmations, like I deeply and completely accept myself, even if I have this problem. And um, we dropped that at some point. And I was scared to death to drop that because people loved it so much. And it 
they thought it was so effective and I thought it was so effective, but we experimented with it and it really didn't matter. Without the affirmations, it works just as well. People stay tuned in. It's kind of an automatic thing to the thought field and just in a natural, organic way. You know, I'll usually say, and as you think about this, you know, calf, where um, our EFT is a little bit more like this anxiety, this anxiety, this anxiety kind of a thing. But, you know, those are the basic differences, uh, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some people don't really, some people are turned off by the words, using the words with ESG. Yeah. Like I work with a lot of veterans. In fact, yeah. I, the only new clients I take are veterans. I'm just mm -hmm. kind of doing my duty with that, I think, and love to work with veterans and they would hate it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they it's, it's yeah. too cheesy probably sounding for them right, right, to do right. that. And also, yeah. and, and I definitely want to get into this as well. Like when you've done humanitarian work in other places where there may be language barriers and stuff, you know, being mm -hmm. able to do this tapping without having to use the words, but just being, you know, in the, in the thoughts and the emotions right. of whatever the experience yes. was, yeah. how powerful that can be. So yeah. I love that, um, you know, there, there's not, and, and the other thing with EFT too, is like, people go like, oh, am I going to get the words right? I'm not, am I doing it right? They get so fixated on that. And we don't have to worry about that here. Yeah, I personally don't think that the words are an active ingredient of ta the tapping therapies, but, you know. Yeah, well, let me ask you, what do you think is the active ingredient? Tell us about that. The tapping. Yeah. <laughs> Two things, you have to be tuned into the thought field mm -hmm. because, you know, a, a field is an invisible area of influence. You know, like if I held up a magnet and something metal, it would be attracted to the magnet, even though you don't see the magnetic field. And it's the same with the thought field. Mm -hmm. You know, you can think about something. Um, you could do an experiment yourself and think about something from the past or even now that made you feel really sad. Mm -hmm. And you would have a different thought field and you would feel differently. And your chemistry inside would be different. You'd be producing different hormones. Mm -hmm. You have to be tuned into that thought field because that's what you're working on. If you were just an acupuncturist, I don't mean just an acupuncturist, but if you were an acupuncturist, you wouldn't have to have the client think about anything because they're working on body. They're mm -hmm. not working on a thought field, mm -hmm. but you have to bring the thought field to the therapy in order to work on the thought field. Mm -hmm. So that's so, one piece of it. And then what, what do you think the other main Well, the other is tapping mm -hmm. because when you bring somebody into that thought field, they're, they're tapped into the sympathetic nervous system response because this is something that's upsetting, obviously, if it's something they want to feel better about. So they are in sympathetic nervous system response, which is the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you are tapping, you are eliciting the parasympathetic or the relaxation response. And you, you pair that thought field with the relaxation response where it was originally paired with the sympathetic nervous system response. And that's why this works so much, I would say not better than, because I, I still do cognitive therapy and all of those things to help set up problems, especially, or get at the root of problems. But this takes it to another level because the cognitive area of our brain is very new in evolution. And this gets to the very primitive part of our brain that words don't get to. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you're actually working on the limbic system and reprogramming the limbic system itself. 
So, you know, the active ingredient is the tapping to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system response that's paired with that thought field. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, I think it's important for people to know that while you can use tapping sort of in the more immediate sense to deal with a present time stressor, and that's wonderful, but we can also do really deep. I, I'm a trauma specialist and, and, and we do really, really deep trauma Mm -hmm. processing and clearing with these modalities. And I'm a brain spotting practitioner as well, coming from EMDR, right? So so I know how important it is to access those deeper parts and more primitive parts of the brain because trauma gets locked into our bodies and our brains and and our more recent like prefrontal cortex area can't sometimes can't even access that material. Yeah. So, so we can, so we've done some really like profound stuff with deeper trauma processing to where people can actually let that go. And I'm not sure that general public realizes that that's even possible. Like Mm -hmm. if you've been traumatized, I think people think, well, you're going to be stuck with that for the rest of your life. Exactly. In fact, I was in the Goodwill the other day browsing around, which I like to do. And they have this little radio thing that goes on and they talk about people who are traumatized and they say, you know, that they'll never be the same. And, you know, I think people really need to know. You hear on TV sometimes this person was sexually abused and that will affect them the rest of their life. And, you know, it, we think of it as a, something that will always be with somebody. And it really isn't. I mean, that's why I love working with veterans, mm-hmm. you know, veterans that have been traumatized for, you know, since the Vietnam War, sometimes get over it in a session or two. Yeah. That's and, and that leads us, I think that's a great segue into the, some of the humanitarian work that you've done because boy, when I heard about um, what you all had done in Rwanda and what amazing results you got with those kids, you know, that, that had been part, you know, witnessed the genocide yeah. of families and like how, how profound one session was with them. Can, can you tell us more about that? And how did you get involved in a project like that too? Well, the way we got involved was we were a charity hospital which is the America's oldest hospital. And it's a huge hospital in New Orleans. And if you remember the news that far back, they were all trapped in charity hospital, the doctors, the nurses, the patients, uh, the flood rise, the floodwaters kept rising and it was coming up and they were uh, having to carry people up the stairs to higher levels. They were hand ventilating people because there was no power. The doctors and nurses didn't know if they'd ever get out there alive or get their parents out, their patients out alive and see their family again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were very traumatized and they invited us to come, a team of us to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was a person who had a, a who works with, um, um, uh, people with disabilities that happened to have a connection there that knew, you know, the charity hospital people. So anyway, while we were there, we were a team of 13 people staying in a little house with one bathroom that people graciously let us use and everything went really well. And then we also were invited back to other hospitals since then. But there was a, a one of the team was Paul Ose, uh, who was a minister. And a friend of his was a nurse at the American embassy in, in Kigali, Rwanda. And they had just adopted an orphanage. And it was a very poor orphanage for street children. And uh, she asked Paul to help. So Paul brought a team of us over 
our very first time. And we worked at that orphanage for street children. So that's the research that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, it was one um, session. And in that particular uh, research, we actually did the tapping. Mm -hmm. And um, the funny thing is, is the kids started tapping each other right away. We had hoped to do like a blind study and some kids would di be diaphragmic uh, breathing and some kids would do systematic uh, desensitization. And um, they all started tapping each other. So they all got tapped. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one session and it was kids who made the cut for having experienced PTSD from the war. So they were mostly older children. And the results held up two years later. Amazing. And from that, we got calls. There was a, a group called Women's Foundation Ministry that asked us to come. And this time, uh, it was kind of my idea this time. Um, and I was the team leader in this uh, particular case. And I decided that we shouldn't just keep coming in there and tapping people, that we need to leave people who tap. Mm -hmm. And these women were kind of a trauma resource in Rwanda. So what we did is we started training. We did a two-day training for these women. And then they're the ones who actually did the research, the, the intervention for the research, I should say. ASU actually ran the research so it would be blinded. Mm -hmm. So the, the uh, people involved uh, didn't actually uh, look at the research and do the stat statistics for that research. Mm -hmm. And again, two years later, the, the, uh, the um, results held up. And this is with newly trained Rwandan therapists in one session wow and then a priest kept calling me wanting me to come he actually called me that time and we didn't have time left to come at, to his parish but um he kept calling me and finally i said okay we'll try to raise some money and come and we were able to raise money so a third time we went there and again trained newly trained you know he he identified community leaders. They were, you know, mayors or just people that people went to. They could have been, um, you know, shamans in the area or just, you know, whoever was respected in the community. And we trained them. And again, they did the same thing. They, they treated all these uh, people. We had 200 subjects and only two didn't finish the training and the results held up. So... And now Rwanda insists that everybody at the genocide memorials, which take place every April, and formally, you know, ambulances be lined up, you know, to take people to the hospital to be treated because it was such a traumatic thing. And now they just set up TFT tents, or if it's indoor venue, they have TFT rooms. And they insist that TFT trained people come and are there to, to help people. And the ambulances are no longer needed. What, one of the people I trained who was a minister, uh, Celestine Mitabu, he um, came up with the idea of either three tents or three rooms. And some people get very hysterical. It's, you know, people process trauma different ways in different cultures. And it's very typical for Rwandans to be um, very hysterical when they're when they're experiencing trauma. So they would go in one tent or one room because it would contaminate the other people and get them overly excited. And then in the second room were people who were traumatized but weren't hysterical. 
And the third room would be a recovery room because people were often so exhausted afterwards that they would just need to lay. And each one would have somebody in it to be there for them. So they used that technique. And then um, the government also insists that all the people in the prisons uh, need to be trained in thought field therapy so they can treat the people in the prisons. And Caroline Sakai has been going over and training uh, prison staffs to use thought field therapy. And she has a church in Hawaii that is sponsoring her to do that. So. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is like ongoing stuff, right? Yeah. Going every year, I think, and, and continue. Yeah, we, yeah, I've made six trips myself, and there is a film on uh, Vimeo. Yes. A 57-minute film called From Trauma to Peace. There's a, there's a trailer from Trauma to Peace on there also, and then kind of a little extra thing that's shorter. But the 57-minute one um, interviews many of the Rwandans who were... Um, affected by the genocide and then relieved by using dot field therapy and has their stories about how how much their life has changed since they've been treated with TFT. I think this is such amazing work, Suzanne, not just for like on the individual level, like individual people that were traumatized, but it almost seems like the whole culture and like yeah. the whole nation. Communities has, are traumatized. Yeah. Yes, the whole community has been traumatized. And over the years, because this project you know, has been going on a while, it seems like you all have con really contributed to the entire nation healing. Uh, that's my I'm sense. I'm very interested in the global burden of mental health. Yes. Because you probably, most of us don't think of this. I certainly didn't at one time. 13% of the global burden of disease is mental illness. That was the original statistic, but the Lancet did a further study and they looked at it a little bit broader and they came up with 32.4% of the global burden of disease is mental illness. And in fact, uh, this is a Lancet article from 2016 about, um, let me think, it's... Um, um, the, the highest contributor of all diseases to uh, disability-adjusted life years is mental health. Yes. Way above even cardiovascular disease. And it's, it's, it's um, level with years lost uh, to disability with cardiovascular disease as far as quality of life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a huge problem. I mean, in the United States, we have pockets of people that are underserved, but in some places in the United States, in the world, there's one psychiatrist to every million people and hardly any social workers or psychologists. And, you know, one of the things people have tried to address the global burden of mental health is to train community health workers. And those experiments have gone really well. I did a research study recently that was published in Aug Health Organization. But those studies sometimes did well, but the reason we didn't include those in our, our review is because they don't last, because community health workers are already overburdened and there aren't enough of them. So you need to have a whole different force of community mental health workers or lay counselors to do this work. And that's my real interest is developing, you know, a world network of, com of community workers that just do mental health. 
Wow, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's such it's such tremendous, it's so tremendously needed, I think, especially mm -hmm. right now in the world, given Yeah, the you last... don't want to rush in though. You know, the first thing you need is food yeah. and shelter and water. Yeah, and, basic you need. Know, people tend to get in the way sometimes with rushing in and trying to rescue people from their trauma. You know, I think you need to wait till other things, till things are safe. And yeah. then you need to go in because most people get over trauma themselves. 28% of pe people suffer from PTSD after any war or uh, any kind of a, a wartime conflict or man-made or national disaster. Mm -hmm. So you want to target the people who really, really need it. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Suzanne, if people want to find out more about that piece and what you're trying to develop worldwide, I mean, I'm thinking mm -hmm. especially in the context of the Ukraine and, you know, some of the yeah. time things that are happening, how can they find out more about that? Um, about that specifically, like how, how could they get involved in that? Yeah, or how yeah. Could they contribute money to research. Either, either or. or. I just know. Yeah. I just get the sense that people there are people who are going to listen to this and watch this yeah. and want to get involved. Yeah. Now. Well, through ASAP, we have one project that's going to be. It's still in process, but they're funding um, a research research project that I'll be involved in that will be in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And this will be in a particular state in Mexico where the narco element is huge and children yeah. see trauma every day of their life. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a schoolroom-led intervention of 10 minutes every day at school. And um, we'll use the CATS, the um, Child and Adolescent uh, Trauma Assessment, uh, with students from the university in Mexico. And they'll do these assessments. And it'll track the ongoing trauma as well as the reduction, hopefully, of trauma symptoms in these children. So it'll be a group thing. And if that works well, that would be a great model for the world, you mm -hmm. know, to integrate this with a short treatment every morning. Mm -hmm. So that's one project we have. And another one um, uh, that the Thought Field Therapy Foundation has is in uh, Kurdistan. Mm -hmm. And a professor that I've worked with a bit, um, trying to help with her research, um, did a wonderful research study with, P, uh, with TFT in Kurdistan. And what they found is they did CBT because that was classic and that's what they knew before they knew anything about um, TFT because the people weren't really receptive to therapy in those areas. Mm -hmm. And um, they only had one success with the, it was a small group, but they had one success with cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, then later they did TFT with some of the people that weren't successful with CBT and just new people. And they didn't have one failure with the thought field therapy. Now, again, it's a small group, sure. but she, she wrote that up as a case series and it was published in Explore. And um, she talks about why she thinks that worked and it was because you know we think that in the united states we think that tapping is strange yes i don't think that was strange at all they thought uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was strange and it was too much work and they didn't understand it and they thought well they were really doing something with the tapping yeah and it fit more with their culture yes so so we have a bigger project planned and so that's another thing that we're collecting funds for but you know if anyone like even in the united states knows of a prison 
or someplace that where you could train lay people to do this work, I would be happy to go and train lay people to do this work. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. We'll provide links in the show notes for okay. all, all yeah. these different projects and resources. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. And yeah. yes, I know you mentioned that. I think this, this was really interesting to me. Um, well, I sat in on a workshop where Carolyn Sakai was talking about yes. some of the work she's done and the, uh, and how in other cultures, it's actually considered more an act of caring and more normal for, for the practitioner mm -hmm. to do the tapping on the client oh right right rather than we do yes. it here in america oh, we can't touch people here in america we're all weird with touch right yeah one so yeah. they tap on themselves but like how i don't know there was something very moving to me about how caring that was to actually be doing the tapping on the person who's going yes. through the memories and all that that yes. it's just as really you talk about how moving that is when you think yeah. about that adriana i i do remember that you know, in Rwanda with some of the more difficult cases when people got hysterical and they were laying down, sometimes there were maybe four or five women surrounding them as they were laying down in a room and they'd be tapping them. You know, I think in most cases, you, I prefer the client tapping themselves because, you know, one thing you lose with trauma is a sense of self-efficacy. And, but, you know, it depends on the circumstance, you know, if you feel like tapping someone and you feel like it's safe, I think that, and some people can't tap themselves. I usually have them bring a helper or something because, you know, somebody who might be a paraplegic, for instance, or quadriplegic, I'm sorry. Yes. Well, but, and just to, to know that there's this much variation, you know, sometimes yes, we as practitioners, exactly. Right. Having just been in a brain spotting training not long ago, everyone kept asking, well, can I do it this way? Can I do it that way? And right. I love that the, you know, the instructor, David Graham was just like, follow your knowing, follow the intuition. Yes. Like, yes. You know, like we have a lot of latitude. There's no one correct right. perfect way to do this. So I, I want right. the practitioners and the therapists who are, who yeah. are listening to this. Blend it with all the other therapies, you know, yeah. what I tell people and, and I don't teach anything but this in the two-day training, because everyone does what they do, you know, and this is a tool for them to put in their toolbox mm -hmm. and they'll keep doing whatever it was they were doing that worked, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't be doing what they were doing if it didn't work. And they right. can, they can blend this in however they intuitively feel they want to blend this in. Yeah. A teacher would use it differently than a massage therapist or a therapist and every therapist is going to blend it in differently because they have other tools in their toolbox that they're going to combine that with. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to do that. That's, that's, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. That's what I want people yeah. to know. Cause they get so hung up. Cause I do, I see a lot of therapists. I just had a consultation group this weekend where somebody was like, I've learned all these different modalities, but I feel like I haven't mastered any of them. And so then I don't do them because I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong or I'm going to mix it up. Yeah. Somehow. You know, I think it's a good idea to master one and then learn another, but yeah. That's know. what I told her. <laughs> yeah, that's water under the bridge, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Susan, I would love it if you could, could give us a little demo or a little experience um, of tapping so that we could try it ourselves. And I'm thinking, okay. especially with like all the stress and the anxiety that's going on okay. in the world right now, well, maybe. Let, let me show you the basic anxiety stress algorithm. And um, then if you want, I can show you what to add for different things, but, you know, if time allows. Yeah. But anyway, the basic one would uh, be, and 
also, if you're reversed, and we don't have a lot of time to go into that, but sometimes the energy system is blocked. So the, the um, treatment isn't going to work. So I usually, uh, in a case like what we're doing today, I would start by doing what usually unblocks the energy system, and that's tapping on the side of the hand. So nice, solid taps. Yeah, a line I usually use if people are going like this is uh, a nice, solid taps, but not so hard you bruise yourself. That gives them an idea that, you know. <laughs> that defeats the purpose of this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then the sequence would be eyebrow, eye, arm, collarbone. So it would be the end of this meridian. I won't go into the names of them. This would be eyebrow. Mm -hmm. And then under the eye, that would be the stomach meridian, not the official name. And then under the arm meridian, and that's about, if you were a male, it would be level to the nipple. So you can just imagine where that would be. It's usually the bras that goes around the side on a woman. And then under your collarbone, which is the most powerful energy spot on the human body. And it's right in between two ribs, right off the sternum. So you can usually feel a little dent there, tapping there. And that would be the tapping sequence for, for this algorithm that we're going to be doing. And then you would reinforce that in the brain if it's working, uh, if you notice some difference, tapping on the back of your hand between the fourth and the fifth metacarpal. Mm -hmm. And it would be close your eyes, open your eyes, keeping your head level, point your eyes down one way or the other to the rug, either left first and then right, and up, go down the other way, bring your eyes back to normal, and then roll your eyes around in a circle one way, and then the other direction, and then listen to music. Just isolating the right hemisphere of the brain, no syllables or sounds or words, just music. And then going back to the left, going over to the left brain and activating the left brain with counting. You could do any kind of math. Mm -hmm. The algebraic equations, if you wanted to. <laughs> I think I'll just count to five. <laughs> I joke with engineers or people. <laughs> And then back to hearing music in the right brain. And then you're going to repeat that major treatment or we call the tapping sequence, beginning with the eyebrow, under the eye, under the arm, and under the collarbone. And then, you know, often you might do another reversal and do it again if you felt like you were getting some results, but you weren't getting the results you wanted. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not getting any results, then you probably just don't have the right tapping sequence. Mm -hmm. So there's things you can add, like you could start with eyebrow, under the eye, under the arm, and under the collarbone. And if somebody wasn't feeling good about themselves, they could tap under the nose in addition, and under the lower lip. I mean, yeah, on, on the chin, mm -hmm. and under the collarbone. And then you would do the nine gamut treatment and repeat the major treatment. And then the nine yeah. gamut was when we were doing this part. With yes, the right, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can yeah. go through it again. Yeah, I, I won't go through it again. No, 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 just to yeah. let people know that's what it's yeah. called is the nine gamut. say if somebody was angry, you could do the eyebrow, the basic one, eyebrow, eye, arm, collarbone, beginning of the eyebrow, under the eye, under the arm. And uh, it's usually five to 10 taps. I tend to do 10. And mm -hmm. I just kind of intuitively look at what's going on. And, mm 
-hmm. under the collarbone. We could do more. If some people like want to tap longer, let them tap longer. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody's angry, have them tap on the end of the um, little finger by the bottom corner of the nail bed. And that's the face facing the thumb. The inside. And that's yeah. the end of the heart meridian. And anger mm -hmm. is often connected in research with heart disease. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it could involve rage. So do the end of the gallbladder meridian or the eye, outer eye spot, we would call it. Mm -hmm. And then under the collarbone, we'll always accent with under the collarbone, which mm -hmm. a powerful energy spot. Dr. Callahan thought of it as an exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, if somebody was feeling guilty, you could do the, the major one eyebrow, eye, arm, collarbone, and then add index finger. Now, does and it matter which side, Suzanne? Which, which No, it doesn't matter. You can do either side. It isn't mm -hmm. more powerful to do both, but some people prefer it, but it yeah. isn't really any more powerful, but it feels good sometimes just to do both sides. So <laughs> no harm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, and then the back of the hand for pain and for um, depression. Mm. It's a very powerful spot. It's called the triple burner or triple warmer in acupuncture. It's, we call it the thyroid uh, meridian in the West. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just tap there for a while. It's just, is it just the center part or? Oh. Oh, no, you're back there in between these two fingers. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the same one you use for the nine gamma. The nine gamma, okay. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. I already feel more relaxed. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really and, cool. There's some basic instructions um, for all of that as kind of a one treatment on my website at www.thoughtfieldtherapy.net, not com. That's somebody else's, so... Uh, mm -hmm. It would be .net, and uh, I kind of go through all that. Wonderful. Yeah. And it really doesn't take much, right? You know, I I, yeah. I work with clients at uh, drug and alcohol rehab, and, oh, yeah. you know, I joke with them. I teach energy psychology. Oh, I yeah. The eye, eyebrow, iron, collarbone almost will always works to to and, take the urge down, but yeah. they have to repeat it. They, they yes. Repeat and, that. and, and just for anything, I mean, I mean, most, mostly we know the main trigger for using drugs and alcohol is emotional stress of anxiety. some sort. Alcohol anxiety. is an anxiety reliever. Yeah. yeah. And, and my joke with them is look, we could tap for five minutes and that's going to work way quicker than a drink ever would. You yes. Can't <laughs> yes. Yeah. I sometimes no have, have them come in wanting a drink. Yeah. You know, like if they usually get off work and they stop at the liquor store on their way yeah. home, they come here. Yeah. And then they can even set it in front of them, you know, and, and um, our same with cigarettes, you know, bring, come in wanting a cigarette at least yes. the second time, if you didn't catch it the first time and then see how it works with them. Yes. We reduce their urge and remind them that this isn't a one-time thing though. Right. Right. It's not like when you zero in on a problem, it's usually a one-time thing, but but what a wonderful tool, right? Oh, it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Clients feel like they have no other, you know, no other option to deal with their anxiety, but to drink or use or yeah. whatever their food, whatever their behavior uh -huh. is. And right. when right. we teach them, I think the empowering piece is that if we can teach them that they can self-regulate, that they can bring their stress level down, right. their anxiety level down with these simple, maybe weird looking at first, but these very simple tools like that really empowers them to know that they have a sense of control. You're right. Yeah, I'm a substance abuse counselor as well. I've got 
in mm. that licensure as well. Yeah, and I, I love that as a tool to help yeah. people. Yeah. This has been such wonderful stuff. I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us? Or well, I'm just really grateful that you invited me, Adriana. Yeah. And thank you so much for being such a great interviewer. And thank you. <laughs> I wasn't just sure how I was going to use an hour, but you were very helpful. And no, thank that. you. Well, it's and it's my love, you know. So I love you. You can tell. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And if anybody knows of places where people would like, you know, underserved areas where people would like um, to train like staff at a prison or something like that, I'd be glad to do that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many places, right? Like you've mentioned schools, prisons, I would think shelters, yeah. domestic violence, shelters yeah. like that. Yeah. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. All I need are expenses and that's it, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much for the work that you continue to do, the inspiration that you are, um, you, your person, and the work that you're doing. Suzanne. Thank you, Adriana. Thank you for all you're doing. Yes, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in today to this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. If you like the show um, and you find this information helpful, please do help us get it out in the world. Share, like, comment, follow. You know, the, all the platforms use these algorithms. So the more people are watching, the more people are sharing, the more this information will get out there to more folks. So thanks everyone. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.